This is the Living Clean Podcast. This podcast is not meant to replace meetings, sponsorship, step work, or service. This podcast is meant to be another tool in your recovery toolbox. Our guests are here to share their experience, strength, and hope with recovery through Narcotics Anonymous. Thank you for joining us. All right, welcome back to the Living Clean Podcast. This is episode number 50. We're continuing down the road with all the IPs. Uh, This week, we are talking about by young addicts, for young addicts. Uh, And I got a very special guest, Miss Hannah Kay. I'll let her introduce herself and share her clean date and give her home group a shout out. Hey, thanks, Mason. Hi, I am Hannah. I'm an addict. My clean date is November 14th, 2018. And my home group is Finding a New Way to Live in Smyrna, Tennessee. (laughs) So you're working on the big six, right? I am, yes. I just celebrated five years in November. (laughs) Wow. Uh, So we we got clean in the same year, but mine's at the beginning of the year uh january so i just i just got the six and yeah yeah so cool we're just a few months apart so obviously the topic is by young addicts for young addicts and it's very important ip and we're going to touch on that a little bit later but before then i want to kind of get let the listeners get to know you a little bit um so kind of give us a some insight on what life looked like before you found Narcotics Anonymous. So life before NA was, um, I, so I always think back to my mindset in active addiction, which was like, you're having fun. This is me having fun. That was my mindset. Um, because drugs took away the ability to actually care about the consequences that came along with using. So literally I did not give myself a chance to feel those feelings behind like the terrible things that happened whenever, because of my using. Um, But well, you just said before, and I like, you know, in childhood, you know, I had a good childhood. Like it was, it was fine. I never really, you know, um, needed for anything there was things that I wanted but you know that's who who didn't right Um, Right. yeah childhood was good and go growing up like in school school was probably the most challenging aspect of my life because I felt like I didn't fit in um particularly like in middle and high school like bullying was um you know it was it was pretty rough not not the best years of my life and I look back at that Hannah now and like just try to exercise so much compassion for her um instead of you know thinking kind of how I think the rest of the world thought about me at the time which is like oh they Mm. didn't love you why should I why should I love myself if they didn't love me when like that's just you know that's just gonna couple on more shame and more pain if I continue in that cycle, you know? So I try to stay really vigilant about, um, 
the way I talk to my, my inner child, if you will. Um, yeah. So whenever I found, I started using around age 15. Yeah. Um, and man, Mm -hmm. whenever I quickly noticed that, like, I did not care about anything whenever I was using, and that was like such a luxury to me at the time like ah oh, i just i don't have to worry about anything whether people accept me or love me like i don't care um which i mean honestly i don't at the time i did not think to myself oh i am going to get high to numb my feelings it's no i'm gonna right. get lit and i'm gonna have a good weekend like it's gonna be fun and amazing and awesome Um, And I would like purposefully black out. Like I remember reading some old text messages whenever I got clean, Um, just like, you know, clearing out my computer. And I saw where I was like, I want to forget everything I do this weekend. And I'm like, wow. (laughs) Uh, Looking back at that now, I'm like, that's insanity. Uh, That's terrifying. Um, But, you know, it's that's that's what it was what it was like i want that's what i wanted um now i know that it is because i didn't you know i didn't want to sit in my feelings um i was addicted to that feeling of not feeling (laughs) not feeling anything at all (laughs) um i remember one time when i was like really really messed up I like got in my car but I like hit my head on the side of my car really hard as I was getting in and it hurt for like two seconds and then it went away and I just like almost knocked myself out like I hit my head really hard and I just remember thinking like this is amazing I I can't feel physical pain like I would if I was you know if I was not using Um, so just that obsession with not feeling anything became my, you know, my, my love that it was drugs were my first, my first love. Um, also my first like nightmare life ruiner thing. Um, didn't know it at the time. I did not know it until I got in recovery. Like I had to look back in hindsight be like damn you were insane because whenever you're in it whenever I'm in it I'm in it right like I'm not yeah. it is not occurring to me <laughs> how much damage I'm doing and of course like at the time when I was using my family everyone around me was like mm, you have a problem um it's kind of out of control and of course I'm like they're judgmental assholes and they're they don't want me to have fun like they're just trying to exert their authority over me like I with I live with my mom I did when I was using as well um and she is also in recovery (laughs) so it's it's a little um but she was not as willing towards the end of my using to put up with my bullshit because she had been introduced to this way of life um yeah so I part of me still has the mentality of like seeing my mom as the wall that stood between me and using as much as I wanted. Right. I still go back to that like teenage mentality of like, Oh, like stop being such a bitch, you know, that kind of thing. But I mean, I know that she was trying to save my life. Like, I know that's, that's 
what she was doing. I know that now. <laughs> Back then, though, I was like very resentful that she would not be one of the cool moms who would just let me do whatever I wanted. Um, because some of my friends had those moms and I would just go in and out of their house, like, and just do whatever I wanted in there. And I just thought it was so unfair. Um, but like looking back now, if she would have let me just come in and out of the house, do whatever I wanted, um, without threatening to kick me out, I, you know, I probably would have died or I probably would have got locked up or, you know, brought some really awful people into my house, put my family in jeopardy. Um, Cause that's like, I was not hanging out with great people when I was using, like I, I hung out with people that, um, you know, I could get something out of and vice versa. Like we, it was just transactional relationships, really. We would just use each other. Um, and I did not, like, I refused to hang out with people that weren't using when I was using, like, why would I do that? You know, that it was so uncomfortable for me. Um, if I would have met someone in recovery while I was clean or while I was using and they were telling me about this, I'd be like, what a fucking square. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> like, mm, get away from me. But now like, well, uh, let's just, you know, stay focused on, on back then. Um, it was a mess. It was a mess. That's, that's how I ended up here. You don't just trip and fall into the rooms of NA. Um, and I hit, bottom after bottom that I said I would never hit, right? First, it was, I'll never sleep with anyone for drugs. Guess what I did? I slept with someone for drugs. Guess what I did, though? I justified that, right? I was like, oh, but I know this person. And oh, I love sex and I love drugs. Kill two birds, one stone. You know, like, I justified it. Every single right. bottom I hit, I would justify. I got arrested for the first time in the Dairy Queen drive through um, <laughs> and the thing is, once I got arrested, they didn't take me to jail that night. Right. I was probably 18, 19. They didn't take me to jail. That was my justification. Like, okay, I can afford a lawyer and I didn't have to actually go to jail again, justified something that I said would never happen, which was me getting arrested. Like if middle school, Hannah could see Hannah in active addiction, she'd be horrified. She'd be like, what happened? Like, that's not me. There's no way. Um, and then, you know, just a, a lot more of those bottoms that I said I would never hit, like driving messed up um, to the point where I'm hitting random things, waking up in the morning, not remembering where the dents in my car came from, terrified of when my parents see it because they're going to bitch me out. And I'm going to have to like come up with an excuse, another lie. Like it was constant lying, constant having to keep up with what stories I told, which people got like four different relationships going on at one time, extremely messy, um, constant, forgive me, Mason, constant, um, yeast infections from the amount of sex and the amount of pills I was putting in my body. Um, because I just wasn't taking care of myself. Like I, and the thing is, like I said, drugs made me not feel anything. So I didn't give a shit that I wasn't taking care of myself. I really didn't. Um, yeah. So eventually like some of the people that I, 
you know, that I used with whenever they told me, you're kind of scaring me with your using. I think you might have a problem. Um, yeah, these were people that I justified to continue using because I compared my addiction to theirs for the longest. I'm like, well, at least I'm not as bad as them. <laughs> and then they tell me like, um, yeah, I think you might have a problem. And I'm like, what? Of course I point the finger and three more are pointing back at me, but that's the first thing I do. I'm like, um, do you see what you do? Like <laughs> get out of my face with all that. Um, but I, you know, I started like my shit really, really started falling apart. I got kicked out of my mom's house um, because one day she just, you know, she had had enough and she kicked me out. That was a bottom that I said I would never, ever hit. And that was like the most heartbreaking night because in my mind at the time, I thought that since she's doing that, that means she doesn't love me. When in fact, it was the opposite. Didn't know that, but uh, did it, really didn't know that in the moment. I was pissed. I got up in her face and I was like, okay, fuck you. And she was like, get out. Like, I can't handle you anymore. Just go. Um, and I know that broke her heart. We don't, we don't know what we do to the people in active addiction when we're in it. We don't. It's not until we get some common sense in us, some recovery in us to look back and be like, damn, I put those people through hell. Um, I had somewhere to go whenever my mom kicked me out, thank God. Um, but after that, I decided, like I stayed at this manager's house that I worked at um, for I worked with for like two weeks and then I moved back in the house. My mom was gracious enough to let me come back. Um, and of course it didn't take me long to fuck that up. Right. Cause I still hadn't like uh, found the rooms of an A yet. I was trying to do it on my own. Um, still talking, like still associating with those same people that I used with. I didn't know at the time that like they highly advise against <laughs> staying in contact with people that you used with whenever you get clean. <laughs> they highly advise against that in, in, in a, um, in every recovery program. But, um, yeah, so I moved back in relapsed and my mom was, was like, essentially enough is enough. Um, and I think I had that charge from getting arrested and the Dairy Queen drive through still over my head. So um, we decided that I was gonna go to rehab. And so I went to this rehab. It was a co-ed rehab, which is like, <laughs> you know, not a great idea in my mind, right? Now, right, at the time I was loving it. I was like, yes, this is like a vacation. Like there's so many cute guys here. Hell yeah. <laughs> um, and all I, like, I mean, I'm grateful for that foundation. Like, and I think it introduced me to NA in a certain way. Um, I believe some H&I people might've came, but like all I really learned how to do at that place was get away with shit. <laughs> like hide what I'm doing. <laughs> um, 
because like when we put the drugs down, of course, we're going to search for something else to immediately fill that void. Um, so I go home and I, I start working. Like I start going to meetings um, and I hear all these suggestions, like get a sponsor, work the steps, um, all these different things that they tell newcomers. And I also noticed that there was like a lot of halfway house guys that were looking real fine <laughs> whenever I got to the rooms, like still wanting to fill that void. Um, and so I started like, you know, I started sleeping around the rooms and I quickly found out that it's really difficult to sit in a meeting and tell the truth about yourself and get honest when you can like point out the people that you've slept with in the room. It's, it's super difficult. I didn't want to step on any toes. So I just like, you know, not that I probably was even brave enough to be honest at that time. Um, and because I didn't take all these suggestions, like I got a sponsor, but I wasn't utilizing her. Like I, you know, like I do my sponsor now, um, which is like, tell her what I'm going through instead of just like, yeah, everything's good. Yeah. We're, we're doing great. Thanks. Um, and my old sponsor, that first sponsor that I ever got, like she noticed that I was like, that I was sleeping around with a lot of these guys. And one day she like followed me out into the parking lot in her car and she um, pulled up beside my car. I had a dude in the car with me and she was like, take your ass home. And I was like, oh my God, like, dude, I am so sorry that she's here. And I was like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> like, and she cares. Like, that's the thing. Like, she cares. I taught her a lesson that, like, let go or be dragged, right? And now she talks about in, in my celebrations or anytime she sees me, she's like, you taught me a lesson. Like, you dragged me through hell because I let you. Um, and I did. Like, she was really trying her hardest to, like, trying to control some shit whenever I simply wasn't ready. I just, I simply wasn't ready. Um, so yeah, I go in and out. Like I hit these, I hit more bottoms on all my relapses every 30, 60, 90 days I'm going out. Um, I remember on my, my first relapse ever, I, I was trying to convince my mom that I was still clean. I had relapsed at 89 days, but I was like, meet me at a meeting and watch me pick up my 90 day key tag. I was, I was extremely fucked up. Right. So we, we go to this meeting and, um, I'm with halfway house due to the week and my mom, like people know us, right. They know that we're mother and daughter. Like it's a family dynamic thing in the rooms. Cause she's like part of NA as well. Um, and everyone can clearly see that I'm like, obliterated, you know, nodding out during the meeting, tried to do a reading, failed epically. Um, and so I stumble up there to go get my key tag at the end of the meeting. And my mom afterwards, of course, I run off right after the meeting. As soon as it's over, I'm not sticking around. I'm running off with dude. And my mom is torn the fuck up in the parking lot, just crying her eyes out from what I hear. 
um, you know, the people of NA were there for her that night because God knows what would have happened if, um, you know, she had to go through that alone. Like, I'm so glad she let people comfort her that night as I just like ripped her heart apart again. Um, yeah, I, I was not fooling anyone. <laughs> I was not. And the crazy part is we think that we're fooling everyone, <laughs> everyone yep. and everyone's like, cause I, now I've done it. I've seen those newcomers that come in and nod off during the meeting and just for a second, I'll be like, how messy. And then I'll be like, Hannah, you are not that far removed from that. That could be you if you make that move again. Like in an instant, that could be you again. Um, yeah, I made my... So me and my mom came around the rooms at the same time this time. Because she had originally been introduced way back in the day. But we came around at the same time. She stayed clean. She did not go in and out like I did. So she has, I think, like nine more months of clean time than I do. Um, that being said, I made those first nine months hell for her. Like, because I was going in and out so much. Like, again, we don't think about what we do to the people around us when we're still in that insanity. Um, so after that relapse you know more relapses followed just kept hitting bottoms that I said I would never hit eventually actually went to jail um and found out after like 24 hours of being in there that is that is not a place that I want to be it's not a place that I ever want to go back to like ever um it was scary and that was my last relapse and I just I remember like going to the dealer and they were like talking about these pills and they're like it's it's like two in one and what I thought he meant is like okay there's there's fentanyl in it like if it's two in one what the fuck does that like please expand on that what do you mean um and I just remember like right before taking that pill just thinking to myself like I was scared that it was fentanyl I'm like oh no and then part of me was just like fuck it you know just fuck it um and just Looking back at that, you know, that version of myself who was taking a risk like that with her life, I look back and I just have so much like compassion for her now. Like, dude, ugh, I didn't know it at the time that that was such a low point for me. I thought I'm about to have a great night. Like I'm about to not feel a damn thing. But me now looking back, I'm like, that is no way to live. That is no way to live. But anyways, I took the pill and, you know, it wasn't no fentanyl. I don't think I, I didn't die. So thank God I didn't die. Um, but yeah, that was the night I got arrested and got a DUI. And that is my last relapse. Um, and ever since then, I went to treatment again in early recovery. Because um, again, I thought it would look good in court. Got that little nudge from the judge and you know, the back problems, mama's on my back, my whole family's on my back to just like do something different. So um, I have not found a reason to use since I came back. Well, I mean, there's, you can turn anything into a reason, but the thing is like, I choose to talk about it whenever I feel like using today instead of keeping it in like, oh, it's, 
no one needs to know, or maybe I still, I still really want to go back at, like, I talk about those things now instead of keeping it in. Um, yeah. So that's, that's what it was like. I think I covered a lot. I think you did. And I'm going to be honest with you. I love having guests like you because you make my job really easy. Uh, <laughs> no, but you know, so I'm I'm just curious to like, so you came around a bunch. Uh, do you, what do you think um, kept you coming back after all those relapses? Do you think it was because did your mom play a part in that with the connection of that? Um, what kept you coming back? Cause eventually, you know, you came back enough until, you know, you finally stuck and stayed, but what do you think kept you showing back up after all those relapses? Um, Honestly, it was the fact that I was living under my mom's roof and she was like, you can't stay here and continue to get fucked up at the same time. You need to be going to meetings. You need to be involved in a program. That is what kept me coming back. It was not like, oh, I feel this overwhelming desire to, you know, change my life. Yeah. Like it, that wasn't there. It was simply because I did not want to lose the roof over my head. Yeah. And that, and, I, and, that, and that's why I bring that up is because, you know, I know you see it all the time and I see it all the time. There are so many people that come into that room that really don't want to be there, yeah. but that's why our big thing is just keep coming back. Just keep bringing your ass and eventually your head will follow. And, um, <clears throat> after you went to jail and treatment for the last time, um, was that something you really wanted to do then or was it did it still feel like something you just had to do to to help your back problems like you described it so after my last relapse um i remember sitting in that jail cell like wanting to kill myself like yeah. i've just made a phone call and no one answered and I, or maybe my mom had just said they weren't coming to get me, something like that. But I was just feeling so distraught. I looked at the phone cord for a second and thought about like choking myself out. And I distinctly remember, you know, that feeling and just, it, it scared the shit out of me. And honestly, when I was sitting in that, in that cell, I would have done anything in the fucking world to get back those 60 days that I had just given up anything. I would have yeah. done anything. <laughs> um, maybe because I was caught, but that of course, like who, who wouldn't feel that way, you know? Um, yeah. so when I came back, I mean, I'm not going to lie. Like that was a reservation. That may still be a reservation of mine today. Like if my mom one day, God forbid decides to like relapse and she's like, you can do whatever you want now, Hannah. You can come in and out of these rooms, all you, in and out of this house, all you want. Go use, like, cool. Um, you know, part of me, definitely earlier in recovery, part of me would have been like, fuck, yeah, dude, this is what I've been waiting for. Um, but I'd like to think that I've stayed long enough to know that um, the using lifestyle in the long run is going to bring me a lot of pain and misery a lot. Um, yeah, I, so I did, I did 
continue to come back simply because of number one, I did not want to go back to jail. I didn't. Right. Had I fully bought into like, Oh, you're worth a better way of life. You're worth working a program. You deserve like, you know, no, I, I wasn't quite there yet, but thank God I kept coming back until I was, um, mostly there, I guess. Um, yeah, yeah, it wasn't, it was not for me by, by any means. Um, but it is, I'd like to think it is now. I, I still go back and forth and that's okay. Cause guess the fuck what? I keep coming back. <laughs> Even if I yeah. go back and forth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's uh, I, I think a lot of people, I don't think anybody really comes to the room thinking that they're going to find this new way to live. It's we got to try to find something to keep getting locked up yeah. or to prevent ourselves from dying. Like, we want to either keep living, we don't want to go to jail, or we're tired of facing some consequence or another. I think that's what brings us into the room. But I, I guess my next question would be, you know, it becomes apparent that we're powerless over this thing because we keep doing it despite all these consequences. But, you know, when I think about step two, I kind of think about us finding hope in the other people in the room and seeing that if this is working for them, it could work for me do you remember when that started to shift for you that you started to think that, Hey, even th this may work for me too. Um, <clears throat> I feel like ever since I came into the rooms, I had so much faith that like, if I actually gave it a shot that it would work for me, I wasn't fully convinced that I needed this program. I wasn't fully convinced right. that I was an addict, but I, I knew that like, if I put my all into this, that, um, you know, that it would work for me. Cause I seen so many people, um, you know, have success with it. So it was just a matter of whenever I'm ready, like whenever right. I have actually accepted that like this whole using drugs thing isn't going to get any better. It's just going to go <laughs> downhill from here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, did you struggle? Did you have an identity problem when you first got there? Did you look at other people in the room and say that, you know, well, I guess here's a better way to ask that question. You said I struggled with whether I was an addict or not. So what does your disease kind of tell you? in your mind that that separates you from an addict yeah it was it was always me comparing my bottom to other people's um like yeah. how far my using went like i would sit in a meeting and um you know hear these people talk about eating out of trash cans shooting up with needles sleeping under bridges doing things that i had never done before um mm. And I would always feel like so separate. And it's so wild that I, like my brain will find any way to like make me feel left out. And I, I don't think it, it doesn't do it on purpose. It's not like a self-destructive brain. It's more like a protective mechanism, but still like it, it causes me some problems a lot. Um, I end up feeling left out quite a bit so 
I felt like, oh, I'm not part of this overdose club. Oh, I didn't sleep under a brick. Like, and my disease would tell me, yeah, I guess we're going to have to go to those links before you're ready for recovery. Like it would literally say that, like, I'm going to have to overdose before I realize how serious this is. It's yeah. like, no, no, the fuck you don't actually. Um, but I really did think that like my whole first year of recovery this time around, even after I had all that evidence, my whole first year, I was really questioning hardcore whether I belonged here. And I didn't realize it at the time, but I know now that the only reason I was questioning was to find a reason to use again, to find mm. my way back to drugs. That is the only reason I was questioning making sure I'm not wasting valuable getting high time, you know? Yes, absolutely. I know when I was hearing you uh, share your story, you know, what kept running through my mind is, yep, she's in the right place. She's right where she <laughs> needs to be. Yeah. Uh, not that I'm, my opinion matters, but yeah, I think you definitely qualify for sure. Right. Yeah. You don't just trip and um, fall into NA, like I said. No. <laughs> No, no. And, um, yeah. So let's talk about, you know, the last five years or so, like, you know, the changes and things that's happened in your life and, you know, kind of like, you know, for me, you know, my perspective has changed a ton since I got here. You know, you want to kind of touch on that for a minute? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, what I did differently this time around, like this is the, the hope shot. Um, <clears throat> what I did differently was I took all the suggestions. Um, one of them being stay out of a relationship for the first year. And I do need to note that that is not in our literature, right? But you hear predecessors <clears throat> say that all the time, um, don't make any major changes your first year. They say that as well. Um, Cause we're already dealing with so much shit whenever we come in um, that it's just piling on more stuff is it's, it's not a great idea. It's not a great idea for me. Um, so yeah, I, I took that suggestion, stayed out of the relationship for the first year, which is just as much of a miracle as me staying off drugs just as much insane <laughs> also like I look back at that Hannah and I'm like how did she do that here I I have like almost you know I have five years clean now and I look back at her like I, I can't even fucking do that now <laughs> where did that willpower come from um <clears throat> we go through phases in recovery like Another suggestion I took was get a sponsor and use them. So I got a sponsor and, you know, I was honest with them about everything. And I know that's way easier said than done, especially if you're like just coming off the streets and, you know, very mistrusting of people. Like, of course, you're not going to be super eager to like tell someone all your shit. Um, but that's why I took baby steps. Like I would just, you know, give a little bit at a time. Um, but I have to find... Like I had to find that one person that I could tell absolutely everything to just, just got to have that one person that I felt comfortable enough to do that with. So I did. And yeah, I got a sponsor. I started working the steps. Um, and then 
other suggestions I took. Um, <laughs> it's not a guess. Why am I just thinking about that? Like, oh, produce them, Hannah. I'm just trying to think of the basics. Like, I definitely did a lot of reading that first year of my recovery because I was going through that whole questioning whether I was an addict thing. So I would like pick apart the literature and try to find loopholes to where like, oh, that doesn't apply to me. That definitely doesn't apply mm -hmm. to, like to the point where that was my new obsession, right? The disease of addiction is rooted in obsession, compulsion, self-centeredness. And like my new obsession was obsessing over whether I was an addict. It was wild to me. Just it ate my lunch for a whole fucking year. Let me tell you. Um, I am so glad that I did not go back out because I was honest, right? Like I was honest about those feelings of, Hey, I don't know whether I belong here or not. Um, and I had people tell me that you hit your bottom when you put the shovel down, like you get to decide whenever you stop digging. And that was profound for me. Cause I was like, Oh, so I don't have to like you know, be part of the overdose club or like sleep under the bridge club. I don't have to do that. They're like, no, do you want to? And I'm like, no. And they're like, exactly. Like, stop now. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> um, Cause I'm not mistaken about the fact that if I go back out, it's, it's going to lead there or you know, yeah. death to the psych ward, to under the bridge, to overdoses. Like I could, I can fully see that happening because um, it would just get so out of control. Because on my relapses, it was out of control. My life was in shambles within 24 hours of picking up drugs. Like, yeah. it goes away that fast. It's insane. Um, everything I worked for these whole five years could be gone in an instant if I use um, an instant. And that's scary. So... Yeah, I had that that person say that about the bottom and the shovel. Another old timer one time was like, next time you go to a meeting, look at everyone's butts. And I'm like, okay, I'm listening. She's like, notice all the bottoms are different. I'm like, oh my God, there are no two of the same bottom in the room. <laughs> so cool. <laughs> so cheesy and stupid. But I was like, I like that. Um and another person was like, you hit your bottom when you're no longer willing to sacrifice anything to using. Yeah. And I was like, damn, okay. Well, at the time I was still questioning whether I still had more in me. Like, oh, am I willing to sacrifice anything still? I don't know. Because um, the thing is, like, <clears throat> I would, for the most part, I would know that shit was going to go wrong whenever I relapsed. But like, Again, the drugs took away my ability to care. So I just, I was, I would just look forward to the couple hours of high and be like, we'll deal with the consequences later. Like when I come crashing down or whatever, but I'm going to just enjoy these angelic couple hours, even though they were chaotic as hell and rarely relaxing and as zen as I wanted. Um, so... Yeah, I definitely, I definitely am super grateful that I opened my mouth about questioning whether I was an addict. Um, I shared about it my whole like first year and a half. <laughs> I lit my sponsor's ass up all the time. Like I put her to work for real. 
Um, and then my perspective on things has definitely like, that's one of the greatest tools that this program has given me is the ability to turn my perspective around on any situation. Cause like when the drugs go, like I'm still left with feelings, a shit ton of them. So like, if I'm just sitting in these unpleasant feelings, if something upsets me and like, I don't at least attempt to try to see things from a different perspective or like find the good in the situation, um, shit's going to feel pretty unbearable. <laughs> so I, I'm just, I'm so grateful for that, for that ability to be able to challenge my thoughts, like unlearn all these things that I have learned, you know, by accident, um, lessons that really don't even belong in my life, just messages that were relayed to me throughout childhood that, you know, I misinterpreted, um, and that have caused me a lot of pain. Like I get to unlearn those things um, and be vulnerable, like actually get with the women this time, uh, women with clean time, right? I'm not gonna, if I got 30 days, I'm not gonna run around with a bunch of other people with 30 days because that's a recipe for disaster. If I don't have at least one old timer in there or someone with a decent amount of clean time, that's like, yo, <laughs> what are y'all doing? Like, let's get our shit together. Um, so yeah, I stuck with a lot of old timers, especially in my early recovery. Um, I'm still in early recovery, but you know what I mean? Like I'm talking first year early recovery. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, there's been a lot of changes. Like I'm very big on like inner child work and, you know, I seek outside help. I go to therapy, that kind of thing, um, which has also been beneficial for me. And yeah, like the Hannah today, if, 18 or 19 year old Hannah could see me today she'd be like what the fuck what happened to her like what a little hippie dippy ass square because she doesn't use she's a square what a loser but now sitting in this seat I'm like okay I'd rather have all those like labels slapped on me than like be fighting for my life and not even know it you know um, because that's, that's the dangerous part is that I didn't know that I was putting myself and others at risk constantly. I had no idea, none. Cause I thought I was fucking invincible. So now I know that I am very much not invincible and I have to like, recovery is just doing the next right thing to the best of my ability. Um, so that's what I try to live by, like, keep it simple because I can complicate the shit out of some things in my head and having the awareness that 99% of my problems are based on my perspective and like how I view them through these eyes, through Hannah's soul and Hannah's conscience, like, that's that's where my problems come from. Um, it's not physical problems today that are happening around me. Like, you know, the house isn't on fire. I, I'm able to pay my bills, like those kind of things. Um, 
it's, it's internal. It's a lot of an internal battle for me that I fight nowadays. Um, and I try to, you know, try to keep surrendering that and surrendering that to me means just like showing up for life, doing the next right thing to the best of my ability and attempting to let go of the results. I don't always do that, but <laughs> oftentimes I don't actually, but that's a human thing. Like that's the thing, all these addict tendencies that we have, they're also human tendencies. They just oh, yeah. blown a little bit out of proportion <laughs> by the disease of addiction. But when people are like, oh, I was comparing myself. It's like, duh, you're a human being. Like we're wired to do that. Or like, yeah. oh, I was, I was beating up on myself. Yeah. Like, yes. Okay. That's part. Welcome to the human experience. <laughs> like, I, I don't like the fact that sometimes we put ourselves in a box as addicts, like, yes, there are definitely certain things that we cannot do that normal people can do, like, and vice versa, right? But um, we are human beings. And like, it's so important to understand, like, how we operate. So I don't end up feeling so separate from everyone. Whenever I realize, oh, it's everyone around me. It's a, it's a lot of other people that share this same experience, you know? intrusive thoughts like thinking about like if I'm driving along the road and I see some kids my brain's like hit the kids 10 points of peace and of course I'm not <laughs> gonna do that but like <clears throat> you know um those kind of thoughts are like our brains do whatever the hell they want they really do yeah and it's I, I got respect for it but it's also really scary not that I'm gonna hit kids on the street but you know, that's the thing. Like recovery has given me impulse control. I don't have to automatically act on the thought anymore. Um, as far as using goes, like I, I don't have to do that anymore or hitting yeah. on the street. <clears throat> when you say that, I think about uh, two pieces out of the literature. One thing I think about is when the basic text talks about us not having, um, well, you were talking about portion control and it says, you know, we have a lack of proportion. Uh, and then the second thing is you were talking about the human experience and step working guide defines a character defect as a basic human trait distorted by our own self-centeredness. So everything that we experience is very much human. Uh, addiction is just kind of hijacked us and, and, and amplified some of those things right. uh, to a fault, uh, you know, so. We don't know how to uh, correctly proportion, you know, our human experience in some ways. So we go to the extremes. But yeah, everything that we experience is we don't have the market cornered. Uh, most people, you know, even obsession and compulsion, we don't own the market. You know, yeah. we, yeah, there's there's a, you know, everybody has some form of obsession and compulsion that that they do. But yeah. Um, Anyways, uh, you know, thank you for letting us get to know Hannah a little bit. Uh, grateful for that. <clears throat> so let's, uh, let's roll into the topic today. It is by young addicts for young addicts. And what I'm finding interesting is while you're, uh, while you were ta telling your story, 
uh, you covered a couple of these things and some of the things that it addresses for us too. And uh, one of the big one, <laughs> you know, the first section that kind of sticks out is to me is, am I really an addict? Uh, you know, so what that does is while I'm he hearing you tell your story, uh, it reminds me that you're not alone in that sort of thinking uh, and that other people have experienced this, you know, and I don't know if I was considered young. I guess it depends on who you ask. I was 26 when I got clean. Yeah. Okay. So um, probably a little older than what this pamphlet's referring to, but very much uh, still immature and, and, and uh, can relate to a lot of these topics that's, that's in here. So, but anyways, I'll uh, turn it over to you and just kind of get your thoughts on on this IP. Yeah. So this was a very, very important part of my early recovery um, throughout that process of questioning whether I was an addict. And I've got so many things highlighted in here from early recovery. Cause like, you remember all those little loopholes that I would try to find? <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. It addresses like fucking all of them. Wild. <laughs> um, like, okay. The first one I had, have this first little section as young members most of us didn't come to na looking for a new way of life we were just tired of the lives we had you know that that's true like i did not come here looking for a new way of life i wasn't like oh let me get a good spiritual condition when i came here like fuck no <laughs> um <laughs> and we spent a lot of time feeling angry lonely hurt or scared um Getting high was the only thing that seemed to help, but drugs quickly began to make life even harder. Mm, that is so true. Like I can't, I can't even poke a hole in that one. Like that's so, <laughs> that, that's matter of fact. Like they really did. Um, as much as I was in love with the like couple hour highs that I would get, whenever I would come down, like reality would come crashing in, and it felt terrible. It felt so awful. Um, one of my things was, I guess one of my justifications was like, I wasn't an everyday user, right? I didn't use all day, every day. Like the people that I hear share about that, I'm like, how is that even sustainable? Like my shit would fall apart <laughs> so quick every day, bro. Because I had a mom that was like, you know, she was definitely trying to make sure I didn't kill myself. So she would make using as hard as possible for me. Um, thanks, mom. But anyways, it says right here in the, in the pamphlet, we realized that the types of drugs didn't matter. It didn't matter if we only used on weekends or if we used before, during, and after school. Again, it calls it out. Like, it doesn't matter how often you use. Like, that's not what makes an addict an addict. It's like, you know, it's our reaction to the drugs. It's not like, because I also thought that, um, I thought that drugs were, like, I thought if you were an addict, that it was a physical addiction, right? I pictured like withdrawals, like, like opiate withdrawals, you know, which I think people who do, um, you know, uppers, like they, they don't even get like those physical, like dope sick withdrawals, like an opiate addict does, but guess what? Like they're still an addict. Um, because who just recreationally does crack, you know what I mean? 
That doesn't really make sense. Um, but anyways, let me look at some of the other stuff I highlighted. The drugs didn't have to be habit forming or physically addictive for us to develop a problem. How about that? Another loophole ruined. <laughs> um, our use of drugs was wrapped up in obsession, compulsion, and self-centeredness. We may not have used drugs long, but we learned that addiction runs much deeper than our drug use. Um, and it really does. It extend it extends to like all of my all of my behaviors and ugh, just it has its tentacles and everything. You know, it can at any given time like get super out of control. Um we lost control of our drug use and did things we weren't proud of in order to keep using. And I, you know, one of the things that I think of, um, for some reason, whenever I read, we did things we weren't proud of in order to keep using, I thought of how I slept with people for drugs. Right. And at the time, Again, I justified it. I was like, I know this person, like they they got the hookup. Um, we're friends, like just justified it away. Um, uh. point where it didn't feel like that big of a deal. And that was like I thought something was wrong with me in early recovery. I was like, why do I not feel this like huge sense of guilt and shame that you know all these other women who were like prostitutes share about. Um, and I talked to my sponsor at the time about that. And she was like, you know, that's a sign in the first step. It talks about like inner unmanageability. Um, yeah. Underreacting to certain situations. And yeah. That that's what was happening. I was underreacting to, um, you know, sleeping with people for drugs as if it was just like the common thing. <laughs> um, and it's so wild that, you know, that was in the first step because it's such a specific thing. Like, oh, I'm tripping about the fact that I'm not tripping for sleeping with people for drugs. And then it's right there in the first step. We underreact to certain things. Um, yeah, it says right here, when we hear members share about hitting bottom, we know that our bottom is whenever we stop digging. Mm, what a concept. <laughs> we're not too young to get clean. Like, we're, there's no, I know someone who got clean at age 16, and she just celebrated, like, 20-something years clean. Like, yeah. You, when you put the shovel down, when you put the freaking shovel down. Um, we may have tried to use our age as an excuse to use, but it soon became hard to deny that drugs weren't making life any easier. We could act like we didn't care about things, but deep down, we knew that we were making more sacrifices than we wanted to for drugs. I realized that after I got clean, because like those kind of feelings of like, yeah, this is this isn't really sitting right with your morals and values. Those kind of feelings can't come to the surface until I put the drugs down. Like until I give myself some sort of chance to feel something and realize like, oh, there are still morals and values left in there. I'm not just this like empty, you know, hollow <laughs> vessel 
Um, Cause that's what it felt like for a long time. Like I always said, I wanted to be close whenever I was using, I was like, I want to be close to the devil. People talk about getting close to God. I wanted to be close to the devil. And I look back at myself now and I'm like, girl, what the fuck? <laughs> what were you talking about? Like, but I just, that's the, that's part of what I wanted. Um, and if that right there, like just that alone could be enough to convince myself that like, actually, I think you might have a problem. <laughs> that that sounds pretty problematic to me. Um, but I, I couldn't realize that until some separation was created between me and the drugs. Cause if I'm just in that lifestyle constantly and constantly and all the time, like I'm never going to realize it. I'm, I'm not like, it's just not going to freaking change for me me personally um yeah yeah uh <clears throat> i'm i'm sensing that this uh this ip may need to be on your next resentment list because <laughs> it, <laughs> it, it it poked holes in everything that you were uh that that you had concerns about but <laughs> You know, I just uh, I think this is an excellent tool too, uh, because it does do such a good job, and 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 the name the name kind of says it all. It's by young addicts, you know, so you can tell that this is based off uh, younger addicts that have come into the program and a lot of challenges and stuff they face, and you know, I can see where it's so easy to um, separate ourselves from especially these older um, seasoned members and feel like they can't understand how can they relate. Uh, another big one that sticks out to me is like, how will I ever have fun again? Fun is over. <laughs> yeah. What does it even mean to have fun while I'm not using? And it kind of addresses that too, you know? Um, and this even talks about celebrating, like how will I celebrate going forward? And, that is a lot of the challenges that younger people face. And, you know, those are some of the feelings that I can relate with when I first came in was like, what do you, like, I thought that I was going to have to be, like you mentioned it earlier, this square, you know, and that the fun was over. But, you know, I think in reality, we don't even, we can't even comprehend what fun really is. Like, I thought that taking a bunch of stuff, getting to the point to where I was blacked out or so obliterated that I couldn't even remember what I did the next day. That was, that was fun to me. And that's what I look forward to. But since I've been clean, you know, I've got to really experience what fun really is, you know, and, and a lot of the things that are fun, like there's events you go to concerts and football games and all that but what i found is what's really fun is enjoying that experience with other people and the biggest thing that drugs did for me is take that away yeah. like i couldn't enjoy those things with other people because first of all i wasn't myself because i was completely uh, inebriated yeah. you know so i was um it, it takes that experience away so i i think um Fun is another word like love. I had it completely mixed up on what it actually means. Yeah. 
Yeah, I definitely like, so I talked to my therapist about that one time, like all these things that I do in recovery, like I'm just, you know, I'm trying to have fun, trying to like, you know, just get that same feeling, that carefree feeling that drugs gave me. And she was like, "Uh, I don't think you understand, like you're never going to feel that again. Like you comparing normal life, like on no substances, even in recovery, as great as that may be, it is not fair to compare your normal life to fucked up Hannah. Cause you are never going to feel the same. Like you're never going to feel that exact same sense of like feeling nothing, you know, like, ah, just completely fucked up to where you don't care about anything. She's like, you're never going to feel that again. And like, that's, that's okay. You know, that's perfectly fine, but don't compare the two because it's like apples to oranges. Like there's no way you're ever going to get that same feeling um, clean. And I don't want the consequences that come with, you know, with the using lifestyle. So I'm, I'm going to have to be okay with that and like make the best I can with what I have and do still enjoy my life to the fullest, like fill it up with things that I enjoy that still give me like, you know, a rush or peace or whatever I'm after that day. Cause it changes from day to day. Sometimes I'm feeling chaotic. Want to go to a metal concert. Sometimes I'm feeling like really overwhelmed and I need to zen out. Like let's flip on a science documentary. Um, just all kinds of different things, all different ways that I can, um, you know, enjoy life without getting fucked up. Um, Cause like, I don't, the fact that I considered using fun and I was, um, you know, I was a person that did substances that made me like very down, right. Just like filled out. Um, And the fact that I considered me just like sitting in a car, like, you know, smoking some blunts, just like basically nodding out to the point where I'm drooling on myself. Fun. The fact that I considered that fun and like still to a certain degree, like when I hear that my brain is like, Oh yeah. Like there's, it's always going to have a sweet spot, right? Like it's, it's always going to be like, Oh, remember how good that felt. Um, but if I like went up to a normal person and said, that sound fun, they'd be like, bro, what the hell? Like you fucking junkie. What are you talking about? Drooling on yourself is fun. Like, okay. Uh, so I was, I was fixing to tell you a story. I can remember vividly. We took this guy out with us one night and this was while I was, I maybe just gotten out of high school, but he had been uh, sheltered his whole life been you know, grew up in a church family and never experienced anything like that before. So we kept on him, you know, you should see what real fun's about. You should see what it's really like to have fun. And we took him out and he participated in everything we participated in. And I guarantee you to this day, he probably has never used again. And I guarantee you part of his sermon at church is probably telling that story and and how traumatic it was. Not only was it not fun for him, it's probably the most traumatic event that he's ever been through in his life. And this is what 
we consider fun. We was at the convention this Saturday, and JW was telling a story about how one of his favorite things to do was always come back and say, hey, man, you're not going to believe this. We almost we did this, and we almost died. And they're like, oh, my God, what are you going to do? He's like, I'm going to go do it again. You know, He said, I love that thought of going to the point. He's like, I didn't want to die, but I wanted to get damn close, and that was fun for him. Yeah. But you take these, quote, normal people, and you put them into that situation. It's straight traumatic. Like it's trauma, <laughs> you know? So, yeah, uh, I think our concept of fun has been a little thrown off for a long time. Skewed for sure. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Oh, me. So I want to touch on the, cause you've, you've been open, uh, about your issues with sex too and this kind of touches on sex drugs and it says and um so is was that something that you know the the way that it talks about here as young members coming to terms with our sexuality and recovery can be difficult you know you talked about being able to actually take all of that suggestion of of, of you know waiting for a year or whatever uh but to be honest, like in society, when you're young is like your prime years for having sex. So that is such a hard thing to think about giving up because I can already tell you, I'm, I'm in my mid thirties and I don't think about sex like I did when I was in my, you know, early twenties. Like it's just, you know, some nights I would much prefer, uh, much rather have a bowl of ice cream and just go to bed like yeah. it's not that big a deal to me <laughs> but when i was young like that's a big thing to think about giving up and here's another thing like some people have never experienced believe it or not some people have never experienced sex without being under some type of um you know uh under the influence of some kind of substance so you know clean sex is like scary that's a scary concept you know, because we're all of our insecurities and everything that we worry about, it's like up front, nothing's to match that. So what's kind of some of your experience with that? Um, so, yeah, staying out of a relationship for the first year also meant uh, no sex for the first year. Because I, it doesn't feel as good in recovery to sleep with random people as it did when I was using, right? Like that would go, that would go along with my using like I would consider a successful night getting fucked up and having sex with someone that was you know that was the that was the goals right um so whenever I got clean this time around I decided that first year (laughs) I'm glad the opportunity didn't like just fully smack me in the face because I may not have taken the suggestion had things (laughs) been different I don't know Uh, But I wasn't actively seeking like that's the thing because I was too busy obsessing whether I was an addict or not learning how to love Hannah all these like all this foundational work that I rely on today. Um, I was building all of that trying to learn a new way to live. Um, So like we have right hands and left hands for a reason right? Like they, they help us out in tough times. And so, you know, who knows how to please yourself better than yourself, right? So like that was able to be satisfying enough for me. Um, Whenever I did, like, here's the thing, I, 
I had slept around so much in active addiction, just like carelessly, right? Not, not using protection like I should, just with a bunch of random partners. Um, I did not get an STD until I started sleeping around in the rooms of NA. And I was probably 40 bodies deep whenever I got to the room. So how fucked is that, right? Like that goes to show um, just <laughs> why it's not a good idea to can sleep around in the rooms because you're or like ever you know it's not a good idea ever I know that now to like have a bunch of random partners just for me personally um but yeah that that was a baffling experience I found out that uh I had an STD in Cumberland Heights sorry my rehab thank god it was something that you know is curable um, but it's uh-huh. like, I'll be damned. Like all that time I spent being careless and it's not until, you know, I get to the rooms that this shit happens. That's wild. Um, but that was before my, before my relapses. Um, but even whenever I came back, I think like the first partner I ever had, like I ended up the first partner I ever had this time around, I think I ended up getting an STD from him too. So it's just like the beginnings just did not start off great. Like as far as sleeping around in the rooms goes. And of course I call him like a year later. I'm like, cause I didn't find out I had it till like a year later. And the doctor's like, Oh, you have chlamydia. And I'm like, Oh my God. Uh, well, I, I thought I like took care of that in rehab. And, um, apparently, you know, after sleeping with this next person, you know, a year in between at least, I got it again. And so I called them and this is the importance of like associating and giving your body to people like that will respect you. Right. I call this person like, Hey, uh, you were the last person I slept with and I have, I have chlamydia now. So how about that? And of course he's like, it wasn't me. And I'm like, "Mm, was it not like, you're the only fucking suspect, dude. What do you mean? It wasn't you. Um, again, like, being able to gauge who is worth our time and like our energy and our body, like our bodies are our temples, you know, like they're very sacred. And I, I feel that now, um, back in the day had a completely different perspective. Um, and that's, you know, that's just where I was at at the time. But like, yeah, my mind was on other things that first year. Right. So it was easy I mean, I wouldn't say easy. Yeah, easy. Cause like I, I was just so busy trying to keep my head above water, accepting the fact that like this is a way of life that I need to buy into. Um, submerging myself with meetings and you know other women in the program. Um, and yeah, sex whenever you are not fucked up is scary. It is like, and I realized that in recovery, it takes me a while to be comfortable with someone before I'm actually able to fully let my guard down during sex. And it makes it so much better whenever I do feel comfortable and not like awkward, like rush into things immediately as soon as we decide that we like each other. Um, Because I am way more likely to communicate what I need during sex and like my boundaries during sex if you know, if I give myself a chance to get to know them first and realize that they're a safe person, 
um, yeah. then it's going to be way better. Like the connection is going to be way better. Cause I really do value someone who is like respectful, um, not like super degrading. And like, these are things that have to be talked about. Otherwise, like, we're both going to go into it for the first time, not knowing each other. And someone may get triggered by the other person's actions uh, because we haven't discussed like, what do you like? What do you not like? Um, and it's a very important, very important part of it. And I highlighted sometimes our feelings about sex and really, I was fixing to say that. Go ahead. <laughs> sometimes our feelings about sex and relationships make drugs start to seem like a solution again. Instead, we share what we're going through and ask for guidance and support. Recovery will help us get through our feelings clean. When we share honestly about our, ourselves, we're an example for others. And that's what I had to do. I had to, like, you know, talk about this with some of the women in my life. Like, hey, this thing happened during sex and I wasn't really okay with it. And they were like, okay, either that's your shit and you need to work on it or you need to set a boundary with him and tell him not to do that again. You know, like yeah. utilizing our tools when it comes to that. Yeah. And I think that's why it's so crucial. You know, we talk about that suggestion and look, let's just be honest. Very few people ever follow that suggestion. <laughs> It's just, it don't happen a lot. And, and sometimes it's unrealistic, but the thought kind of behind it is that there's a lot of things that we need to learn about having a sexual relationship before we jump into one. And like you said, an interview process, great suggestion. You need to know who you're laying down with, you know, cause interview if you, process. that's intense, but yeah, but you know, communicating, you know, but that's kind of what it yeah. is, you know, asking, you know, uh like for me i want to know what you've been up to <laughs> are you like are I, you std free that is one of the first things i ask have you been tested recently are you std free like these are things yeah. that are important to know are you married oh shit, yes <laughs> am i am i gonna have to look over my you know those are <laughs> those are important questions and and look there's things because we have all these insecurities and things when we, especially when we first get in. And we also have this overwhelming feeling to want to be accepted and want to be liked. So we will be willing to do things that we wouldn't be willing to do once we get our shit together and we understand exactly who we are and what we are, you know. So you can find yourself in, in, in a place to where you're feeling shame and guilt and remorse. And like it said, like those are things though, that's all you'll ever need to justify using again. If, if that's on, the, if that's on the table, uh, if you're looking for a reason, you know, shame and guilt and remorse is something undealt with is it's difficult to live with. Yeah. And, you know, sex is a way that it's a good way to find yourself feeling that. And then plus, you want a shot taken at your insecurities, you know, get in a relationship <laughs> because they're all going to be on the table and every, all your fears and doubts and work. Hey, but look, I'm going to tell you, I've had, I've had some positive experiences in relationships. I've been in two since I've been in recovery. One of them was with the person outside of the rooms and it didn't work out, but guess what? We don't hate each other. Actually, both of us are married now, you know, so, uh, 
I found out how to end a relationship before I got into another one. And that's the first time that, you know, the windows wouldn't broke out of the house and somebody didn't end up in jail or, you know, and now, um, you know, I was, I guess, hell, I was five years clean before I got married. But when I did, you know, I, I'm a hell of a lot better at relationships than I was the first time that I walked in. And that's a whole nother episode for another day, but you know, um, you talk about the human condition. I think it's, it's just, uh, it's not smart to not discuss sex and talking about, you know, that should be a topic that we discuss a lot of times because it's just part of growing up. It's part of maturing. It's is, you know, you have a healthy sex life. And that doesn't mean that you're actively doing it all the time. That just means that when you do participate in it, you know how to do it in a healthy way. And, you know, it can be a wonderful thing too. Uh, it really can, but it can also be a fucking nightmare. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But yeah. Well, thank you for being open and vulnerable and talking about that. You know, uh, I appreciate that. And hopefully somebody out there listening, uh, can get something out of that too because it, it's something that's not brought up enough i don't think we don't talk about it enough unless it's giggling or going you better not do that like now let's talk about you know our home group it's like like the running joke we'll always quote out of the basic text where relationships can be a terribly painful area but if you go on to read the rest of that like our speaker brought up saturday night relationships can be a wonderful thing too they can be and i'm not just talking about sexual all relationships can be a beautiful thing too like there's something awesome that can come out of a relationship if we do our part yeah yeah now so yeah oh all right so right here at the end it talks about more will be revealed no matter how old most people who come to na have a lot of growing up to do the core of our disease is self-obsession that means that all newcomers struggle with the same child childless child thisness regardless of their age we learn to work a program of recovery alongside our fellow members helping them when we can and accepting them accepting their help when it applies we may look or feel different from older members but we're all staying clean just for today when we open up to other members, we learn that we have a lot more in common than we thought. Narcotics Anonymous makes it possible for addicts of any age to grow up and grow older, clean in recovery. Just for today, we have our whole lives ahead of us. By staying clean, we become, we're free to become who we want to be. And I think that's ultimately what we got to get to is regardless of our age, uh, we got to understand you know, once we start learning the true principles of anonymity and how we're all in the same playing field. And if you sit down with that old timer, you know, you're going to find out that, holy shit. You mean, even after all these years, you still think so, uh, uh, and similar to the ways that I think, you know, so you find that we have a whole lot in common regardless of, and, and it, our program talks about age, race, uh, religion, creed, our lack of religion, all that. So, you know, this is one of the, one of those things, you know, that we can separate ourselves with and say that we don't belong. You know, these people can't understand. And, uh, you know, that's not the case. 
and feelings are the same. Uh, like that's, that's the thing that bonds us together. I can sit here and point out differences between ev like everything everyone else shares and my own experience. I can find all the differences, but like the feelings are the same, just like desperation. I don't know what to do. Like my life is fucked up. I don't know what to do. Like I'm going to give something a shot. You know, that's the, that's the feelings. Yeah. Well, Hannah, thank you so much for coming on here. And uh, I look forward to seeing you down the road. And this was a, I had a blast. Yeah. Thank you for having me, Mason. Yeah. All right. So we'll be back next week with another IP. Thank you for joining us on our Living Clean podcast. This is another platform that we can share our message of recovery, which is an addict, any addict, can stop using drugs, lose a desire to use, and find a new way to live. Join that no matter what club. You can contact us through text. The number is 931-306-9364.